at it, maybe a little bit of review on it today. But I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed thinking through in my life what type of guardrails I may need. What kind of guardrails maybe I used to have that I have sort of discarded. What kind of guardrails that uh, I've never had that would be beneficial if I did have them. So guardrails, we've defined them pretty simply as it relates to the roadways, and that is that a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. That's what a normal guardrail is for. We said that guardrails direct and protect. See, you should have this down after a few weeks, right? A guardrail is set up in the safety zone to keep you from the danger zone. Guardrails are designed to minimize damage. And we've not had too many people confess yet who have hit guardrails with their car, but it's minimum damage compared to what would happen if you ended up over the cliff in the danger zone. But the highways aren't the only place that we need guardrails. Guardrails, personal guardrails, are a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And so whether it's in our relationship world, our moral world, our financial world, our professional world, uh, our families, guardrails are for the purpose of protecting us from danger areas so we stay in the safe zone so that we can have freedom on the highway of life because Jesus came to give us bondage. No, he came to give us freedom. But we will lose our freedom if we go off the road. And so a lot of the instructions of Scripture are not for the purpose of killing your joy or mine or making you some religious you know, fanatic. They're for the purpose of you being fully alive as a human being. And to be fully alive, you need to be fully alive in Christ. And so the guidelines from Scripture, the guardrails from Scripture, are for your protection and for my protection to continue on in freedom in life. And so we've said this, the point of a guardrail is to light up our conscience before we hurt ourselves, we hurt others, or we hurt ourselves. Now, with this whole subject of guardrails, we've gone through um, some different passages over the course of the last few weeks. And in these passages, we have touched base on things that um, are really close to home in each of our lives. And so what I want to do here on the last day is I want to do a little bit of a review on some of those things, but um, we're going to head to a new one today, and to head to the new one, we're going to recapture some of the former ones. And I'm taking you to Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter that was written to Christians who were not only in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, but they were... Uh, it was a letter that was written to Christians around that whole area. It was supposed to be sort of like circulated, sort of like a group text, right, or a group email, except they didn't have those back then, right? So Ephesus was a hotbed of activity in that known world at that time. The Apostle Paul was um, a servant of Christ and getting the good news out. And uh, he would pop in and pop out. He spent some significant amounts of time there. And Ephesus was one of these cities that needed one of these. 
They needed some guardrails because Ephesus uh, had a lot of activity going on of the world, if you will, but that activity ended up leading them into some places of danger. And so he would come back time and again and instruct them what they needed to do, not because he was propagating a religion that was full of rules. He was exhorting them about a relationship that was full of freedom and life and how you need to maintain and stay in that freedom and life. You need to stay clear from some of the things they were up against in that city. Culture does not encourage guardrails. Culture is content with painted lines. And I don't know about Ephesus, but uh, I've been there. Had a lot of painted lines. Heard about and some of the things I've read about, that city probably had a lot of painted lines. They didn't have a lot of guardrails as it related even to some of the Christians of that day and how to stay with inside of those. So as we look at the guardrails today, I want to begin with this passage in Ephesians that says this in Ephesians 5.1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I could probably just say the amen and have us all go home. Follow God's example, therefore, is dearly loved children. One of the beautiful things that you've, if you've never caught a hold of it in life is that when you make a decision to be a Christ follower and choose to follow him and choose to follow God's way, you really are adopted as a child and you become one of his children. And so Paul's just reminding them in Ephesus, culture says you're your own person, do your own thing. There was all kinds of sin abounding in different ways, but he brings them back and says, hey, listen, you need to follow God's example. Stay within his pathway, if you will, as a dearly loved child of his. And so that's our foremost identity. If we're a God follower, a Christ follower, is that we're a child of God. And so there's an example, a pathway to follow, just as surely as you have your children. And they, they you know, could go out in all kinds of different directions. But you desire for them to follow God's example or God's example through your life. And then he adds, and walk in the way of love. So as it relates to this whole guardrail issue and the idea of a highway and freedom, uh, I find that embedded here in this verse. Because... They didn't have cars, automated cars that would travel at that high rate of speed. I suppose the chariots could get up pretty fast with some of the horses and that kind of thing. And wheels could fall off and they'd go off in the ditches and different kinds of ways. But he's saying you need to walk in the way of love. And I've had this picture up there for all these weeks. And though it's a little bit bleached down here, it's this whole concept that you have a guardrail where there's a cliff, the danger zone you can go into, but you need to stay in the middle of your lane for you to find freedom. And so walk in the way of love, and so you concentrate to stay in that part of your lane where God's love abounds richly in your life and as it abounds to other people. So... We could go home with just this verse and a half. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. But then he says this. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
It's not just this euphoric, oh, love, we need love one another, love of God, love towards you. We have the example of Christ. And to stay in the center of our lane and enjoy freedom and to walk in the way of love, we need to mimic the very life that Christ led when he was here on this earth and the life of his Holy Spirit if you've invited his Holy Spirit to be the leader in your life. And that Holy Spirit is one who sacrificed their life. He gave up himself as an offering, a sacrifice to God for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, if you've not heard good news recently, maybe you've not been hanging around church, or maybe spiritual interest hasn't been too strong. If you, I got really good news this Thanksgiving week. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he did something about the sin factor in your life. Not only the sin factor past or present, but also future. What he did by offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross gives us the freedom through forgiveness for past sins. But it also gives us power over sin for the present and the future. That very Jesus comes to dwell inside of you And to stay in the center of your lane, you need to let that Jesus, through his spirit, live through you to live his life. And that life is a life of sacrifice and service and love. So, that's all framed great. Those are really good words for the Ephesians to hear, for us to hear 2,000 years later. But then all of a sudden, he drops into exhorting in a very direct way. But among you... There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. And you're like, whoa, you're getting awful direct. I I like the whole offering and sacrifice and the love of God example. You're starting to meddle now. What do you mean? And he doesn't just say, hey, stay clear from sexual immorality or impurity. He says, not even a hint. Ooh, that's even stronger. Now, one of the guardrails we looked at a few weeks back, and you can go online and try to find it, I um, spoke directly about the guardrails related to fleeing sexual immorality. And that we live in a culture with a lot of painted lines here. It's like, oh, yeah, stay clear from that. It probably wouldn't be good. You know. But listen, Scripture is pretty clear about the subject of sexual immorality and purity and to stay clear from it. Because it will lead to all kinds of problems and brokenness. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life, in your own marriage. Maybe it was somewhere you strayed. Maybe it was somewhere where your partner strayed. Sexual morality and impurity. Stay in the freedom of what God intends. He intends... For the sexual bond that's powerful to be in a lifelong covenant marriage. And sexual impurity is on the outside of that guardrail. It's not that God's trying to keep you from something that's enjoyable. We talked about how God created sex. And there used to be a time when there was no sex, right? And we joked about the angels didn't really know what was going on when he created it. 
I, the beauty of sexuality is intended for our pleasure, but you have to stay within the guidelines, even though our culture says, hey, it doesn't matter. Everybody's responsible. They can do their own thing. Now, I'm not going to dive too much deeper into that, but I think it's interesting as we look back and we review a little bit to get to the guardrail for today, that right here in this discussion, the Apostle Paul is direct with the Ephesians once again about this area and the guardrails. And then, guess what he adds right after this? Not only, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, but then he adds, or of greed. Well, what was the guardrail we talked about last week? It was in the area of money. And money becoming a God to us, or stuff, or material things. And God provides, He wants us to have things. But if we start to come underneath the power of those things, then we are no longer free. We defined greed last week as the assumption that it's all for my consumption. We didn't spend time talking about budgeting or, or how to make investments and all that's great because we, we said that you can have your whole financial house in order. You can be wealthy by the world standards, but you can still be in a ditch financially if money, material things, stuff control your life. And so we said the antidote, the guardrail for staying clear of the danger on these ditches is through the heart that God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to fall into unbridled desire for consuming, consume, consume, or upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. He doesn't want us to slam into the wall of hoarding, which is really hoarding is consuming for later because of fear issues, unbridled fear. He wants us to stay on the highway of life and freedom, and that freedom is found by us not clenching our fist, worried, but being able to give as God calls us to give. So we go into this season. I mean, something as simple as a box of love or as you look at Christmas, be able to give away to others and be kind to people. God wants you to have a heart that's freed up from the tyrant of materialism. And we have a culture we live in that's always hounding us more, 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 consume, consume, or hoard, hoard, whatever it may be. And we have to be mindful that the guardrail of giving is in place, not only to please God, but to protect us from falling. And so we exhorted last week this whole idea, instead of, uh, instead of choosing to live first and then save and then give, you'd flip it around and you choose to give first, you save second, and then you live on the rest. And scripture teaches a historical biblical standard has always been what's called the tithe, which means 10%. You give 10% to God and you give 10% away to uh, his purposes for helping others, whatever it may be, that you are a giving person first, you're saving second, and then you are living on the rest. And so that financial guardrail is in place. And trust me, there's times like this week, when you're looking at the finances and you're going, I need some more for over here for my living. What do I do? And what happened this week? I mentioned to you last week, I give automatically through the, the thing that's in your bulletin where you can sign up for repeated giving. It went through and it's like, oh, there was my tithe, my giving for this month. Bummer, I forgot that was going out. 
Yeah, a pastor thinks about those things. But then immediately my heart turns to joy and says, no, Lord, you're in first place. First 10%, the, the giving goes to you. Giving goes to you, and now I look you know, at the other saving or how I adapt my living. And you need to put that guardrail in place. And so we exhorted you last week to do that, to be giving and generous people. And it's not because the church needs your money. God needs your heart. And I know of no other way to have a guardrail in the area of consuming things than to be able to give first and to just jump at it and give the 10%. Offerings above that, whatever, you have an envelope in your bulletin again today. It's for the purpose of saying, hey, there's the tithes and offerings. We have our year-end Christmas offering. Maybe there's other places you want to give sacrificially to or to help someone out. You give as the Lord lays on your heart. He loves a cheerful giver. There's no legalistic rules and scrutinizing of giving. That's before you and God, as Scripture teaches. But that's a guardrail. And the reality is, you know, we always consume, 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 but we will, most all of us in this world, in this room, we will run out of time before we run out of stuff. Life is time. It's not stuff. And you need to make sure that you press back up against the cultural uh, impressions on that. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or of greed. And then he steps into the next one. And this is where we're going to be finishing out today on guardrails. Because these are improper for God's holy people. All these things. And he puts this list together. You're God's child. They're improper for you. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. What kind of home did you grow up in? Did you grow up in a home that had a lot of rough language? Not just in the area of obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking kind of thing, but just a lot of rough talk. I grew up in a home, thankfully, that there was not a lot of rough talk. There was not a lot of coarse talk. There was not a lot of uh, bad words, I guess you could say that. And that's good because it's easy to pick that stuff up if that's the culture that you're around. But here the Apostle Paul's saying, hey, listen, you're a child of God. It's improper for God's holy people to be sexually impure, to fall into immorality, to be greedy people. He says, but it's also improper for God's holy people to go around and use bad language. Now you're like, really? You're going to talk on that today, Carrie? I am. Because I think there's an erosion, not only in our world of this, but in our Christian circles. And I don't think that it pleases God. You know, you could probably try to come up with what all these areas are, and we're going to look at a few of those in a second. But this isn't just about bad words. It's about the harshness of conversation, how we speak to one another. I'm in the camp. Trust me, I, I got off the phone yesterday with one of my sons, and he just called me at an inappropriate time. I was in some different headspace. You ever have one of those calls? And I really just sort of wanted to get off the phone call and get back to where our, my head was focused and was actually focused here for, for today. 
And I ended the call by saying something that soon as I said it, I said to myself, that wasn't very nice. We hung up. We talked later in the day. I apologized. I said, hey, I'm sorry how I referenced that thing there at the end of the phone call. And he says, I said, forgive me for that. He goes, yeah, that one hurt. I said, yeah, I shouldn't have said it. So we're all in this camp together, and it's not just about the bad words. It's about how we speak to one another. And are we not having a really hard time with that in our public culture today? The ability to frame up discussions, even over important matters, seem to end up in divisive, splintering, biting, coarse language. And you're like, why is that? But we're around it all the time, right? It's, it, we, we, we hear it in workplaces. We, maybe you heard it from your home life. Maybe it's uh, in your school. Schools are much more. I, I, I grew up, I heard my coaches in life in high school one time on a bus ride when they missed the turn, he said a bad word. Just one time. Today, Coaches seem to be free to just use all kinds of language, even in high school. I'm like, where does that come from? It's an erosion of some guardrails, if you will. But we need to be focused in our education on character as much as the content of getting through the subject matter. But so also in our home life, in our workplace, in our political worlds, Whatever it may be, there needs to be a conscious effort to stay away from the coarseness of our language. Why? Because it's honoring to God and it's destructive to other people. But among you, there must not even be a hint. You fill in the blank. This, this, and this. What is it that's a hint in your life? that needs to be checked so you don't go over the danger zone? Is it in the area of relationships? Is it in the area of morality? Is it in the area of finances? Is it in the area of language? Whatever it may be, God has a plan and a purpose for you to stay in the center lane and walk into freedom and become everything he intended for you to be. But among you, there must not even be a hint of any of those kinds of things, but rather Thanksgiving. Ah, oh, great week to pull it up, right? This week, stay clear from all that other stuff, even in your conversations and where you end up, and just stay in thanksgiving mode. But rather thanksgiving, Paul says. He exhorts these people, these Christian believers in Ephesus and around that area of the Mediterranean to stay on the positive side of being thankful people, being graceful people, being people that are always looking towards the upside rather than the downside. Friends, we're all real good at looking at the negative. I want to be fully aware of what the worst case scenario is, so I contemplate that in my mind and I roll it over and over again, and then I spend my whole life trying to bat against that which is possibly going to happen. Worst case scenario. Well, take that energy and spin it around this week to say I'm going to take the energy and not focus on these things, but rather thanksgiving and the graciousness that God's had towards me and towards my family, even those awkward family members that you're going to have to have some conversation with on Thursday. Okay? 
be someone who's identified as Christ living in you, this kind of gracious spirit. Ephesians 5.3. But right before Ephesians 5.3, we're going to connect these two. He actually had been on this theme already before we hit chapter 5. He says this in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. <laughs> You're thinking, oh, I thought you were ready to move past that, Carrie. Nope. Here's as one uh, person defines unwholesome talk. Vulgarity, obscenity, indecent language, dirty jokes, off-color stories, pornographic language, racial or ethnic insults, humor meant to insult or put somebody down, angry outbursts, harsh words, mean-spirited comments, gossip, rumors, false accusations, imputing bad motives, public criticism of your spouse or children, yelling and screaming, threats and intimidating comments, endless criticism, quick-cutting comments, cheap shots, talking too much, talking without listening, condemning others, exaggerating the faults of others, excusing unkind words by saying, I was only joking. Do you know what the word unwholesome means? It means rotten. It's like fruit, meat, stuff that's rotting. You ever open up your refrigerator and go, man, there's a smell in there. That's bad. What is it, right? Well, how about when your mouth is opened? Oh, man, that's rotten. There's a bad smell in there. Now, it's interesting because then we won't have time to go there, there. But, you know, Jesus teaches, he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Okay? And this is so true. And, and he was up against the people that had all these uh, eating rituals and food things. It's just like, oh, you're in or you're out. You know, it's like, no, it's not what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth is what's in the heart, in the refrigerator of your soul. Your cynicism, your criticalness, maybe it's because you don't have the thanksgiving spirit there like you should have. Or you're mindful, you're greedy, you're thinking, you know, you need something else. Or some relationship went so wrong and then you feel hopeless. And all that can be legitimate stuff. But where you're dwelling at, you can't hide it. In Romans it says their mouths are open graves. And so there's this tendency to open the refrigerator mouth of our life and smell rotten stuff. And it comes off to other people. I don't know about you, but some of the people I love to be around the most are not just positive, think the best kind of people, slap you on the back. No, but genuine people who have a heart of thanksgiving and graciousness. Their character, their interior world has been formed out of the pattern of Jesus so that when they speak, they speak life. They don't speak death. One of the reasons words are so important is that God spoke things into creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he do? He spoke words and he created. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, it says in the Gospel of John, starting out. There's something about words that speak and they create. And those words can be rotten words and speak demise into other people's lives. Or they can be words that speak life into other people. And it's hard. Just like I said yesterday, I hung up the phone and I'm like, that wasn't good. 
If you bump up against the guardrail in the area of language in your life, we're going to look at three guardrails in a second. I trust that your conscience clicks in and goes, oh, I need to not go there. I need to stay in the center of my lane and experience the freedom. So do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You see this word, the Greek word and the word wholesome there has not only the rotten context, but also has the sense of destruction. And it's interesting how, how sort of the Greeks put together because it sort of emphasizes um, the, the allness aspect before it gives the word no. And so you could sort of say it like this, every critical comment that comes out of your mouth, not. Every filthy word that comes out of your mouth, not. Every harsh word that comes out of your mouth, not. Every cheap shot that comes out of your mouth, not. Every bit of gossip that comes out of your mouth, not. Don't go there. But only for what is building others up. I've never had problem with foul language. I didn't grow up around it. One time, and we worked on a farm together, me with my dad, my brothers. My dad grew up in a non-Christian home. He was saved when, uh, actually, right after he got married when he was uh, real young. But I never heard my dad cuss at me. Well, one time, I thought it was cussing. He called me a bird brain for something I did. <laughs> I remember that. I never had trouble with the foul language thing. But I tell you what I do have trouble with. I can cut someone down really quick with a snippy comment or judgmental thought because I can think quickly and I'm quick with some words. And I have to be careful with that. In fact, I filter out a lot of stuff. God's grace, working in my life so that when the refrigerator mouth is open, rotten stuff doesn't come out, hurting, conflicting stuff. And some of my biggest challenge has to do in the area of what this verse says, which is building others up. Uh, we bought a home three years ago. We were supposed to have the backyard done. In California, they don't give you a backyard. They just give you dirt. And then they put down these little small slabs of concrete outside your doors and expect you to do something with it. And then they tell you you got six months to do something with your yard. And you're like, I already way over my head for the house. I can't do anything with the yard. So after three years and the HOA finally coming at me saying, we're going to start charging you 200 bucks a month. I'm like, okay, let's see if we can do something with this. So they came this week. Some people have been uh, uh, entertaining, having work for us. And the first thing they do, they, they show up with a huge sledgehammer. And they're going to knock down my wall that goes to the backyard. And I have a very nice sized backyard, a great view, that kind of thing. I always envisioned a gate there. But, you know, hey, the wall's it's paid for. It's done, right? It's, it's finished. And they came with the big sledgehammers. And what do they start doing? Boom! Boom! And all of a sudden, this wall's gone, Right? Now, I trust we're going to get the gate back up and we've got to repair some of that and fix some things. But I guarantee it's going to take longer to rebuild that than it was to knock it down. So also with our words, snide comments, cutting comments can cut someone down so quickly. 
destroy their life. And you remember those things. Why do I remember my dad saying, you bird brain, what'd you do that for? It was so out of the normal, but it was like, it hurt, right? Then I started contemplating, birds' brains are pretty small. (laughs) I want to have a bigger brain than that. (laughs) I better be thinking through next time I try to do that. Words can cut down and destroy so quick, but a lot of times it takes years for words to rebuild trust and build confidence in a relationship that's been impaired because of it. That's why Paul says so clearly, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only for what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So it has this whole idea of being constructive. Is your language being constructive? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grief is something the Holy Spirit, God himself, experiences. He's disappointed, right? Does he mark you off his list? No, but it grieves him. It grieves him when that kind of destructive language or that kind of filthy language starts permeating the worlds that you're a part of. Get rid of all bitterness, it says in verse 31. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. It's not becoming for a child of God. Live according to God's example. You're a holy people, and it's improper for you to do these things. And, and so it's not just something that can just sit there and go, oh, I'll work my way through it someday. No, you need to work it through now. It's keeping you from freedom. And you work it through by letting the Holy Spirit that you grieved lived through you and yielding your life to him and walking a road of inner transformation through his power. Be kind and compassionate, verse 32 says, to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Huh. So that's the whole thing there of, of uh, Ephesians 4 as it finishes out chapter 4. But then guess where it goes? It goes right back to where we were just a little while ago. Because chapter 5, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk a life in the way of love is really tied to chapter 4. And it's saying, as Christ has forgiven you, then you need to take that example and turn it around for others as you seek to walk clear from those things that are divisive within your own soul and your heart. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In James, it says it this way, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. It's always a joy for me to look across our body on a Sunday morning as Joe and the team's up here. Joe's dancing, engaged with Jesus, and and to see you praising the Lord. But James says, the tongue that we praise the Lord with, we also do some other things. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. No matter how much they've messed with you, destroyed you, or living in sin and ruined your life, they are still a human being that God loves. And there's respect. I know a lot of times it's hard in divorce type of homes and settings to be able to uphold the ex or the father or the mother. There's reason. The reason is you respect them as a human being. Yes, there's brokenness, and you've been the recipient of it, but you need to walk out the conversation not with cursing, 
but the same kind of conversation that would praise God. That tongue is what needs to have say there. Out of the mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. goes back to the refrigerator analogy. There's either life in there or there's death in there and can come out, and it can speak. So how do you establish some guardrails so that life comes out and not death? You live close to the Lord, seek His forgiveness, lean into the power of His Spirit to change, transform your interior life so what is on the inside comes on the outside. But here's three simple things, and maybe you've heard these before. I think these are great. These are what I refer to as wholesome talk guardrails. You ready? Guard well, number one. Are my words kind? Are my words kind? Is what I'm about to say kind? To which I would answer my conversation yesterday with my son, no. It was dismissive, and it was a little bit of a jab. It was not a kind word. So if I'm bumping up against the guardrail, that's not necessarily kind. Okay, I'm going to stay clear from there. I'm going to stay here. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to say really kind? And it's not a mushy kindness. I understand sometimes you have to have tough love kindness. You know, sometimes you have to sit down and have the talk with a friend, maybe with a spouse, maybe when you're a kid, say, this is not right what's happening. A tough love kind of conversation can be very kind because you're loving them and you're wanting to steer them clear from the ditches. So it's not a mushiness. It's just a sincere, caring word. And how it's phrased, is it kind? The second is, are my words true? Oh, true, of course. I don't lie. Yeah, but do you frame the conversation in a way that makes you look good and them sort of look bad? You know what I'm saying? It's sort of a gray area. Is what I'm about to say true or is it an angle on what happened that puts me in good light and someone else in bad light? Is what I'm about to say true? Hmm. Now, of course, what's out of bounds is lying and making up things about other people, of course. But for God's holy people, it's improper for you not to represent reality in a truthful way. So is what I'm about to say kind? Is what I'm about to say true? And then the third one, I love this one. Are my words necessary? Think about that one for a second. Yaka, 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 talka, talka, talka here. That maybe you don't even need to say any words. Maybe you flow freely with words, and sometimes you just need to pare back and let the other person talk. There's conversation that's unnecessary. Some conversation doesn't happen that is necessary. I understand that. But this question, are my words necessary? And sometimes it has to do with timing. For me, it's timing. Like, I could say a lot of words right now, but are my words necessary in this moment, or are they better for some other time? So there's three wholesome talk guardrails. Bump up against them. Is it kind? I'm going to stay clear. Nope, that wasn't really truthful. Better stay here. No, those aren't necessary. I'm going to stay in my lane and enjoy the freedom that Christ has. A few weeks ago, we talked about the three um, tests of freedom. 
One is that all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I can do all things, but some things aren't going to get me where I need to go. There was the test of progress, the test of authority. All things are lawful, but not all things. I shall not be overcome by the power of any thereof. That was represented with the greed aspect. But it's that third one. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Boy, that's a hard one for me. The test of community and relationships. Are my kind? Are my words kind? Are they truthful? Are they necessary? And so finally, as Joe comes up, I close with Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door. The refrigerator door of my lips. And may what comes out bring life and not death. Talked about guardrails. Guardrails are for your freedom. Guardrails are to steer you clear from danger. Guardrails are to give you life. Lord Jesus, we thank you in this series that you've instructed us along the way. And as surely as the Apostle Paul had those in Ephesians and Ephesus that he spoke to with his letter to the Ephesians. Lord, you have a letter to write on our heart this week, this month as we've been in this series. I pray for those who are seeking to live as children of God, holy people. Lord, only by your grace and your power. May you live in us to live through us. Lord, may you give us the wisdom what to stay clear from, what to embrace. And may we grow through the years in our relationship with you to become more like Jesus himself. Draw us near. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you not only in our mind and in our understanding. We want to know you in experience as we live for you. This week, Lord, may we choose, but rather, thanksgiving. In your name we pray, amen. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings this Thanksgiving week. Let's join in with the refrain of this song, as well as your connect cards. Brought me to the fall.
someone back here by the cross in this corner area is a prayer area for you just to go over there and meet with someone someone from our prayer team would be glad just to encourage you and to pray with you about what any particular need is that you might have you might also know that in your program you were given two cards that was not a mistake there were two and you need to uh, take this you can put it on your counter but I want you to give it to a friend Thanksgiving is sort of late this year, so we're jumping right into the Christmas month next week. And so next Sunday morning, we begin a series called The Unsettling Solutions for Just About Everything. So join us next week. Bring a friend with you. We're going to journey through December. Have a great Thanksgiving. God bless. Love you. See